0: Before we begin an extended time at the Lord's table, I'll make some remarks about it. I want to lead you in a prayer. We do this once in a while. we we'll give you a chance to think a little more intentionally about how we pray as a body. And uh, I just invite you to close your eyes and uh, as, as these phrases hopefully help you to pray, if not pray the way you would want to. But let's just try to turn down the noise and the distraction and all the stuff going on around us and rest and worship. And let me... See if I can help us as we pray as a body. Let me begin with Psalm 25, part of what David writes. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. The word compassion there occurs in, in Isaiah 49.5, I believe. And that's where it talks about a mother's compassion for her child. What mother doesn't have compassion for her infant who's crying or upset? It's the same word. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Take a moment and thank God, first of all, that he loves you. Thank you for his grace, his compassion, and loving kindness toward you every day. Thank him for mercy, that he doesn't always mete out what we deserve, but he's off, awfully kind, awfully patient in his mercy toward us. Would you pray for our country? We're told in 1 Timothy to pray for kings and authorities those who govern us. Would you pray for our men and women who are appointed and elected to office for our president, for all those elected, that first they would come to know Christ and secondly that they would have godly men and women around them to help them. you pray for men and women in uniform whether they serve in the military here or abroad in harm's way abroad whether they are first responders police emts firefighters would you pray for these men and women again first and foremost that they would come to know christ for those who are believers that they would have a a confidence in you and an ability to share christ with others but for an appreciation for these people who have signed on to serve and to protect our country, our freedoms, our rights as citizens. Do you pray for some of the war-torn areas here at home, whether it's in Ferguson or in New York or other areas that break our hearts as we watch these things foment, um, that uh, men would become fathers to so many of these young men who need rearing, that communities would be civil and have common sense in dealing with horrific things, again, that your spirit would work far beyond what we would imagine in ways we can't even understand but you would calm the evil in this country pray for the families of this Asian airliner that's missing for those many I'm sure um, who know Christ others do not but for those families who are in desperate grief that you comfort them that somewhere along the line they'd meet the Savior as the ultimate comfort. Would you pray for someone you know who has uh, an illness, cancer, terminal illness, uh, struggles with health issues? Would you pray for them to have sweet fellowship with Christ even in the midst of their suffering? Would you pray for yourself that as this year ends and the new one begins, that you would have hope, that you would have joy, and would you pray that there would be one thing that you would ask of God, one prayer request that you would ask of God that only he could accomplish. Would you lay that before him and ask him to intercede for his glory, for his name's sake, but a good thing that could only happen if God worked? father we could pray for many things we could pray for those who have hurt us for injustices that have occurred in our lives for those who've been through difficult divorces for their exes for children who are torn between families for those who are hurting deeply with addictions for immorality for covetousness our jealousies our anger our critical nature on the list can go thanks that you hear our prayer as David wrote we love you because we call on your name and you hear our prayer if for no other reason we should love you because you hear us thank you that the sovereign eternal creator and sustainer bends his ear and hears the petitions of his saints we marvel Help us to be men and women of prayer. And help us as we try to commemorate, to remember what you've done for us. In Christ's name I ask, amen. What's the finest meal you have ever had, you've ever enjoyed? Recently, Cindy and I were part of a dinner party and probably one of the top five experiences of my life. It was delicious food incredible friends, incredible people. Uh, We just, we had a a phenomenal time. It was like, why are we here? It was so fun. And that got me thinking about other times, other high point meals. One I'll never forget was in Novosibirsk, Siberia. We were training about 350 pastors uh, with, with their Russian Bible. And through an interpreter, I'm trying to help them understand how to read a passage and understand the big ideas and how to teach that to their congregations. Men with no training whatsoever, 350 plus pastors. And we stood at these giant tables with day old bread would have been a delicacy. This is days old bread with some slimy stuff that passed for cheese with some rings of like, they have a real fancy name for it over here in America. Over there, it's big chunks of fat and cold cuts is what it is and a a greasy, soupy broth. That was the meal. And those men stood up before we ate, and they sang a song loud in Russian, and they prayed a prayer, and we sat down, and we ate. And afterwards, they stood up, we sang another song, and prayed, and we left. It was a phenomenal meal. Spent about a month in Nigeria, and again, training pastors over there. And We ate the same thing (laughs) everywhere we went. We had pounded yam, suye, black-eyed pea, and maybe just a little bit of meat and some greens. Very humble food. Didn't matter if it was in the city in a nice home or out in the bush with block walls and open ceilings. Didn't matter where. We had pounded yam, suye, some black-eyed pea, a little bit of pepper sauce, and maybe a little piece of goat, a little piece of chicken. Phenomenal meal. People with no health insurance, no retirement benefits, no pensions of any kind, no no doctor to go see readily and easily. They lived day-to-day. Day, and they had more joy than I see in America. Or a meal I had 1985-6 time frame. Cindy and I were fresh out of grad school. I was pastoring a little church in Grand Prairie, Texas, and very close to the Summer Institute for Linguistics, part of Wycliffe, Bible translators. And this missionary couple, Dave and Doris Flood, who'd been in Vietnam since the 1950s and were pushed out during the war, and then they would go back from time to time as they were allowed, and then eventually they went back. They invited us to their home for a small meal. They were uh, on furlough, which in those days meant when you lived abroad. For four years, you would come home for a period of months and see your supporters and raise support and go back home. And it was supposed to be a time of rest, but all missionaries would acknowledge it was exhausting, exasperating. They wanted to go back to the field. They hated coming home to furlough because it was so busy for them. So Dave and Doris invited us to their very modest home, and we had a small dish of tuna. I bet there was no more than a cup, about a cup and a half of rice and about a cup and a half of steamed carrots. The table was set lovely. And we walked in, and and Dave said to Cindy and me, Now, this is a very modest meal, but this is the way we eat in Vietnam. And when we come back to the States, we don't like to get into a habit of eating all these big, heavy meals, because when we go home, we have to readjust. And then he looked at me and said, But I think you will find it very satisfying. It was a great meal. What is it about food? we all have appetites, right? Some of you right now are starting to get hungry. Even though you've been eating since Thanksgiving nonstop, <laughs> and you won't stop till after the first or second, bit third, because leftovers will be around after the second and third. You'll eat ham or whatever you eat. I, I maintain we're never hungry between Thanksgiving and January 3. We just graze continually. And you've all had that experience like I did two days ago. I had a really big nurse that said, I will never eat again next morning. I'm kind of hungry, you know? And, just We always have appetites, don't we? It always comes back at some point. I don't want to over-script this, but I think there's something there spiritually. There's an appetite, and there's food, and there's fellowship. A friend recently said there's nothing better than the best food with best friends. Some of you are nodding your heads. And the best food could be a little bit of meat, a little bit of rice, a little bit of carrot with some really good friends. It could be pounded yam in Nigeria in the bush over, cooked over an open fire. It doesn't have to be $500, 600 $700 a person. It can be a great meal with great friends. The Lord's table is the finest meal in the universe because we are eating the best food in the universe with the best friend in the universe, and we're remembering him. Seven quick points about our Lord's table. It was done frequently. In the New Testament, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which, by the way, is the New Testament. 3,000-plus Jews had come to know Christ at Peter's sermon right before this. Imagine a brand-new church with 3,000 couple of Dale Christians. And Peter and James and John are teaching them. That becomes known as the apostolic teaching. That's our New Testament. That's what they're devoting themselves to. The apostles teaching to fellowship, community, to alliance. We're called fellowship. You know, we overuse the term to our loss. Fellowship's a rich thing you travel around the country of the world and you meet another believer whom you've never met before, you meet this person who's a man or woman of faith, and you have a connection. Hasn't that happened to you? I've been traveling and met somebody in an airport, at a restaurant, at some hotel, and had a little buffet meal with them at the hotel or something, and we're like, we'll spend the afternoon talking to complete strangers. There's an immediate connection with a family. The apostle's teaching, the fellowship, thirdly, to breaking bread, which we'll commemorate, and to prayer. The word continually devoting in that passage is used no less than six times in our New Testament, and it always refers to prayer, except here. Continual devotion to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So 3,000 have come to Christ. They're celebrating that whole thing. And they're meeting the temple and their homes day by day, having their meals together with sincerity and gladness of heart. They've come to Christ. And they're commemorating and the breaking of bread was a meal, not just an emblem, wafer, and cup of juice, the way we do it in our modern church. Number one, frequency. Number two, worship. It is an act of worship. It is an act of remembering. We're told to remember. Old Testament believers don't forget the Lord your God. Why? Because we're prone to forget. We're prone not to remember. So scripture tells us again and again, remember, remember. As often as you do this, remember me. And so the emblems are there to help us remember. Remember sometimes we approach the Lord's table with a little bit of, um, uh, not morose, but, you know, caution, reflection, internal, a little bit of sobriety, soberness, somberness. That's not bad necessarily, but I read this this week and it struck a chord with me. I had never thought about this. A.H. Strong writes, Passover was festival in nature. Gloom and sadness are foreign to the spirit of the Lord's Supper. The wine being the symbol of death, but that death by which we live, it reminds us that he drank the cup of suffering in order that we might drink the cup of joy. As the bread is broken to sustain our physical life, so Christ's body was broken by thorns, by nails, and spear to nourish our life. They've come off of Passover, now they have Pentecost, they're meeting with sincerity and gladness of heart. So not that coming to the table is not a good time for reflection, but I don't know if you've thought about it. I had not thought about this. It's a festival. It was a time of celebration that they came together and said, we're believers in Christ. We're remembering what he did for us. We're breaking the bread. He forgave us our sins. He made a provision. He made a way. We're saved. We're part of the family of God now. Maybe you've been there a lot of times. I haven't. That was news to me. Thirdly, obedience. It's one of two ordinances, the Lord's table, and baptism. Baptism being identification with Christ, the Lord's table, remembrance of what Christ has done. I remember teaching years ago in Virginia, D.C., a long series on baptism. As here in our church, we have many backgrounds. We have pedo baptism baptizing as a child, christenings, we have pouring, sprinklings, immersion, forward, backward, you know, to get married from different backgrounds. It's really joyful. And, um, and then we have our way of doing baptism in horse tanks, you know. Um, people are funny. I taught this whole series on why I get baptized, and uh, this woman came up at the end of a school teacher, and she said, you know, you said one thing that pushed me over the edge, and I need to get baptized. And I was feeling kind of smug, going, wow, that's, what what I say? What I say? And she said, you said, if you do it for no other reason, you should do it because Christ said to be baptized. And I had this huge letdown. I thought, I could have saved myself weeks of study and preparation. And just said, Jesus said get baptized. Now, next point. Jesus says, commemorate. The ordinances we love because Christ said as a church, you do these things. We do this one to remember him. Fourth, it's symbolism we use gluten-free wafers uh, and grape juice as the elements. The unleavened bread, of course, goes all the way back to manna. The unleavened bread is a picture throughout the Bible that would be a 20-part sermon series about what bread is. Bread is the sustenance of life. You must have a staple. Jesus is the bread of life. Manna was the, the, on the ground, hoarfrost, coriander, honey-like flavored wafer that showed up on the ground six days of the week to keep the Israelites alive in the wilderness. Jesus says, I have food you know not of, talking about the bread. He says, I am the bread of life. I'll provide all you need spiritually. On and on we could go. The unleavened bread and the wine have always been an issue of debate. When the Huguenots and the Romans came to the New World, there was a huge debate theologically about could you use cornmeal to make bread for communion hosts? Because it had never been done. There was always wheat, but the New World didn't have wheat at that time. The locals in the New World had corn, Milo. And it was a debate theologically, can we use corn to make bread for the host for communion? Some churches are very strict on the unleavened part, as we are, and yet we use grape juice, which I find consistently inconsistent. I've been part of churches that have unleavened bread and a ring of grape juice and a larger ring of wine. And then in the program, a little disclaimer for people that maybe have a different feeling about wine. And when the lids came off the communion trays, you could smell it all across the auditorium. It was quite fun. I spoke in at retreats where we, the organizers had Lord's table and they had, someone brought baguettes as opposed to unleavened bread. And the leaders were freaking out. And they came to me and said, they brought leavened bread. What do we do? And I said, do you have real wine? They go, oh no, we have grape juice. I said, you're fine. <laughs> you're consistent or inconsistent on both of them. Why would you die over unleavened unle- bread, but use grape juice technically? And on and on we go on this nonsense. Do you really think that's what he wanted us wrangling about? It's an element. It's an emblem. It could be corn chips and Pepsi for that matter. The point is, we're remembering the unleavened bread, the purified, broken body of Jesus, broken for your sins and mine, the cup is the metonymy, the blood that covers our sin. Blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. Only that cup can take away sin. And you'd remember that as part of this memorial, the symbolism. Preparation. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 11 about coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Probably one of the most misunderstood passages. Remember, Corinthians is a book of correction, what people have done wrong. Just think of CC, Correction. Verses 2 Corinthians are corrective letters. Paul is correcting this church, these churches, what they're doing wrong. They're coming to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. He does not say, You don't come unworthy. He says, Don't come in an unworthy manner. Because some are coming drunk, some were using this as a meal of gluttony, and others were not able to. And it was a full meal, it wasn't what we do here. And if you think that one through, which one of us would say, I'm worthy to take the Lord's Supper today? None of us would. Every one of us is a sinner. We're all sinners saved by grace. So none of us is worthy, but we come in a worthy manner. So the preparation is good to reflect. And after all, there is no better time perhaps to ask for forgiveness and confess our sins than before we commemorate the Lord's table. But he forgives you. Sixth, the participation. This is an open table, meaning if you know Christ, if this is your home church, you're welcome to participate. And seventh, it's the act of fellowship. In New Testament, again, the act of fellowship and and food were synonymous we overuse the word. It means a lot of different things to us. It was this intimacy, this alliance, this community that happened because you didn't know Christ and now you know Christ and now you're with people that also know Christ and you're saved by grace and you're sinners who deserve hell and He redeemed you from that and He gave you new life and now you're a family because of what He's done for you and you have this connection you don't have with the rest of the world. That's fellowship. It's a great thing when you find it, it's intimacy. Eating the Lord's table is perhaps the closest, most purest act of fellowship we have in Scripture. If we approach it well. So when my friend said life is never better than with the best friends and the best food, I would agree. If you're part of the family of God, we're the best friends. Oh, we're a motley bunch. but We're the best friends because we're saved by grace. And this is the best food in the universe. His body broken for you. His blood shed for your sin. If you don't know Christ, he lived, he died, he was buried. He comes back from the dead. He's born to die that we might live. That's why it's an important season to remember. Not the date or the birthday proper. He was born to die that we might live. And when you go from death to life, from disbelief to belief, from trusting in Christ and not trusting in yourself, you become part of the family of God. And there's a fellowship that's wonderful. And there's a food that reminds us of that. In God's great kindness, he's still eating with tax collectors and sinners. The scribes and Pharisees gave him a hard time because he hung out with tax collectors and Pharisees and even talked to women. He's still eating dinner With tax collectors and sinners and immoral people and stubborn people and covetous people and selfish people and critical people and self righteous people and apathetic people. Part of his family, if you know him. What a great God that he could love the likes of you and me and invite us to a meal. Isn't that amazing? C.K. Barrett wrote, Jesus, the bread of life, which delivers men from hunger and thirst, men by taking bread and coming to him and believing in him. But this believing and this coming are not works which, like others, lie in the will of man. They do not exist apart from the power and the will of God upon whom they are completely dependent. In other words, we don't decide to do this one day. It was God's power through his spirit and his word that broke your heart and drew you to himself. You didn't come to that conclusion yourself. And to top it off, he says, sit, eat, fellowship. What we will do is encourage you to gather in groups of about six. We have six stations here, one, two, three, four, and then two by the back door, five, six. You can grow as a group of your family About six or more gather. Uh, Don't back up the aisles. Let people get in and out. Otherwise, it gets congested. The ones by the back doors tend to get overlooked. They might be closest to you. Uh, As the airline flight attendants say, there might be an exit near you. Uh, So in the back, two tables, two over here, two on my left and right. And go as a group of about five or six. And then um, grab the elements together and and just say one word. I'm thankful for, I'm hoping for. For two, just one word. I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm hopeful for this new year. I mean, whatever it is, I'm thankful for my family. Just one word. Thankful for my job. Whatever it is, it might be one word. And then when you finish with the communion cup, would you put the stack the cups on the table? And as the trays deplete, just one of you take the leadership and switch it around if someone's not going to be there to do that for you. Okay. So we'll give you a few minutes to do that. So go ahead and stand up. If you're close to the table, don't block the aisle. and Watch the aisle traffic, and uh, we'll do this together as a family. Life is never better than with the best food and the best friends. Sinners and tax collectors, all, we have been invited to the supper. Jesus, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And said to them, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We've entered a new covenant if we know Christ. We have a celebration. We're forgiven of our sins. We're granted a relationship. We're granted an inheritance with the eternal king of kings, the one king we granted the promise of living in his heaven, living in his kingdom, as kingdom people forever. As you enter 2015, remember it, commemorate it, and leave here today knowing that he loves you, that he died for you, he took care of your sin condition, he welcomes you to his feast, he welcomes you to that supper. Go and have a great 2015. God bless you.